Welcome to episode 278 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What, When, Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiathurlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, we're talking pounds of meat for free plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. ButcherBox.com slash IF podcast with code IF podcast. I will put all this information in the show notes.
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 278 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow. Hello, my friend. And well, first of all, happy early birthday to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a good year. So I, I feel I'm not one of those people who gets like freaked out or weirded out about birthdays. In fact, I just look at it as how much growth have I had in the past year? And I think it's been a pretty amazing year. So I'm very grateful. But thank you. Yeah, it's definitely a really nice milestone or like a it's a nice moment to reflect on how far you've come to quantify time. Exactly. There's been a lot of growth in a lot of different areas. Like I, I feel like I'm in a good, healthy place. So question for you that will apply to all of the listeners. 
Well, I guess I need to know more about, okay, so your everyday dietary choices that you follow personally for you, like, do you do gluten-free, dairy-free? Like, do you have food rules? I do. I've been gluten-free for 10 years, and that put an autoimmune issue that I have into remission. And I've been dedicated dairy and almost 100% grain-free. Occasionally, I may have a little bit of rice, but I'm dedicated to no gluten, no dairy, and almost 100% no grains. And I'm heavily meat focused. I would say that that's the, I would say the last three years, I've been much more diligent, eating a lot less fish and chicken and really, really expanding my repertoire of meat. And then a lot of vegetables. I like vegetables genuinely. And how do you exist within the whole foods versus processed foods paradigm? You know, I, I, I would say on occasion, I will have like a cracker, like I like who crackers, they're super expensive. So it just reminds me that I really do <laughs> portion out my portions I'm a big aficionado of dark chocolate, so clearly that's processed. I think it's a lot of our perspectives on nutrition really need to be based on what are our, our goals, what fuels our body and makes us feel good. And I think that's highly individual. I would say, obviously, my electrolytes are processed to an extent. Electrolytes are a large part of my world. I realize when I travel, I'm like, oh my gosh, my electrolytes, I feel so much better with them. But, you know, normally I, tend to eat a less processed diet. I'm not perfect. Like I'm not like I'm living off the land and I'm, I have my own cow and I process it and I only eat what I have in my yard. No, that's not the way I live my life. But I do endeavor to eat as minimal processed food as I can within a realistic framework because I can honestly tell you after spending a weekend in a very rural part of my state I do realize that there are conveniences that are important for me and my sanity and my family's sanity, and I don't have a problem with them. So I'm, if I'm buying something processed per se, I'm buying the cleanest version of that product possible within the context of what's important to me, like no seed oils, no high fructose corn syrup. And I'm thinking more about my teenagers, and it's getting more challenging as they get older to be able to navigate that realm and still, you know ensure that they're having some fun foods? Well, first of all, I think that's a really healthy approach <laughs> that I would encourage for everybody. There's two paths I want to take right now. One is because I want to talk about a book that I just finished that relates to all of this. But the reason I was asking you all of those questions, you might see this coming. When you have something celebratory, like your birthday, is there some sort of food indulgence that you treat yourself to? Or how does that go? So in our new city, everyone knows I have like these mental food rules that are important to me. It, we've we've struggled to find a restaurant that meets all of those needs. So we just decided, the kids and my husband decided we're going to just make a really nice dinner. So we have steak and I love shishito peppers. Like I'm obsessed with them and my husband will grill them for me. But my treat, it's not alcohol. My treat is we're making a gluten-free brownie and I'm going to savor and enjoy every single bite of said brownie my kids just made. I think they even put chocolate chips in it. And then there is a dairy-free, junk-free, it's kind of like Cool Whip, but it's not Cool Whip. Like it doesn't have all the junky emulsifiers and whatever's in Cool Whip that I don't. I try to avoid. There's a product that's out there that's clean. It's made with coconut milk. And so I'm going to put that on top of my brownie, probably with some blueberries, and I'm going to savor every single bite. So I generally avoid eating products that have flowers in that flour. 
And then because it really has a detrimental impact on my blood sugar, but I'm also going to take a walk after I eat my dinner. <laughs> so that's usually where I will enjoy myself. I'll have a, I'll have a dessert for my birthday. And I, I, I believe fervently that all of us, when we have a celebration, we should enjoy ourselves. We will build into our week or our day or what have you ways to kind of buffer that indulgence. So I'm so glad you said that because that relates to the book topic. But first of all, do you know the name of that coconut milk Cool Whip? Because listeners might want to buy it. It's called Cocoa Whip. It like changed my life. I mean, it's better than Cool Whip, but it's, you know, to me, I don't eat ice cream. Okay. So it has filtered water, coconut oil, tapioca syrup, cane sugar, pea protein. Okay. It's not like the cleanest thing in the world, but it is certainly better than, there's one that's even cleaner than this one that they have at my Whole Foods but that's the brand. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I'm all about finding the things that work for individuals. Awesome. So we'll put links to everything in the show notes. I sound like a crazy person. I'm like, I can't remember the name, but it makes me feel like I'm having ice cream and I'm not. And it's delicious. And like my kids think I'm a wackadoodle. They're like, just have the ice cream, mom. I'm like, no, because dairy does not agree with me. It's just an unpleasant interaction with my digestive system. So the book, I kept texting you about this book and I finally finished it last night. It is blowing my mind. Really? Yes. So much. I'm going to read his other two books, but listeners might be familiar because Jen would always mention this book called The Dorito Effect. It's not The Dorito Effect, but it's his newest book. So the author is Mark, I think it's Schatzker. It's spelled interestingly. But so the book is called The End of Craving. And he, okay, there's so much in this book and I was just going to read it for the interview, but I just think it's so amazing that I'm going to read his other two books, The Dorito Effect. And he has a book called Steak. The subtitle is One Man's Search for the World's Tastiest Piece of Beef. Apparently it's like a like a travel food thing where he went all over and learned about the different raising practices of cows and the different steaks. And he talks a lot about steaks. So I'm going to read that. So in the end of craving, he talks about a lot of stuff, but basically the main thesis is that when we started fortifying foods and, you know, adding additives and flavorings and all these things, but all of that is what led to the obesity epidemic. And so there's a lot of different topics that he discusses, but I'll just give like two of them, for example. So like with the fortification of foods, this is so crazy. So he talks about the pellagra epidemic. Are you familiar with that? That happened? Vaguely. I actually, when I interviewed Bill Schindler, who wrote a book called Eat Like Human, he talks about it too. But basically there was this mysterious disease <laughs> called pellagra and it killed so many people and they didn't know what caused it. Like people thought it was infectious and then they thought it was like socioeconomic, like they couldn't figure out what it was. And it ended up being niacin deficiency. And it was because we started eating a lot of corn it's a long story behind that. But in any case, so the U.S. started fortifying foods in the 1940s. They started adding niacin, other B vitamins to flour. And so, and that cured the pellagra epidemic in the U.S. Italy, they also cured the pellagra epidemic, but not by fortifying. They just made it so people started eating foods with B vitamins. And he says that that is like the reason that the U.S. became obese and Italy didn't. And it's because when we add these vitamins, it does a few things. Like it gives us the ability to turn the processed food into energy and fat. So like when they do studies on 
pigs on diets that might include process like feed, when they add the vitamins, the pigs get fat and it's like linear. So like the more vitamins you add, the fatter they get. Basically this idea that like the added vitamins are making us fat, which is crazy. Sorry, no, no. So synthetic vitamins. And is he also like accounting for what else is in the quote unquote chow or the feed of these animals? I'm just, I'm totally curious. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. So like there was rodent studies and pig studies, but if they were given feed that's processed without the vitamins, they would stay malnourished and actually die. And then once vitamins were added, they would live and also get fat. And like the more vitamins you added, the fatter they got. If listeners are curious, whenever I'm prepping a book, I read the whole book, I take a lot of notes. And if there are studies I want to look at deeper, I look after having read the book. So I haven't like pulled up these individual studies to, you know, fact check them. (laughs) But um, he says with artificial sweeteners, this blew my mind, that they've done studies where basically they'll have like five drinks and they'll all be artificially sweetened, but then they'll have different levels of maltodextrin, which gives it the ability to add calories or not add calories. So basically like in the study, there were five drinks, they all tasted the exact same, but one had like actually zero calories. One had like 75 calories. One had like a hundred calories. Like it was different numbers of actual calories. So when the participants would drink the drinks, if they drank the drink that matched the calories, the way it tasted, it tasted like a certain amount of calories based on sweetness. So if they drank the drink that had the same amount of calories as what it tasted like, their metabolic response rate, when they would check it afterwards, would burn that amount of calories. But if the drink had more calories in it than it tasted like or less calories in it than it tasted like, the body wouldn't burn it at all. It would just like shut off the metabolism. And he says it's because the body gets really confused by all of these signals. And when it gets confused, it interprets it as uncertainty and it has like a loss aversion type mindset. So it goes into fat storage mode which like blows my mind. Yeah, I, I'm sitting here, I'm just processing. And, and one thing at this this conference that I was at over the weekend, one of the doctors who's absolutely brilliant was saying that medicine has lost its ability to be like, he was using the, ta- the, the term of, you know, we've lost the ability to be humble. We've lost humility. And so I'm sitting here processing everything you're saying and I'm like, oh, I need to go read this because I think it's so important to, consider alternative perspectives. Like if you were to say to me, synthetic vitamins are driving all of these metabolic disorders or diseases that are contributing to it, I would never have made that connection. So of course now I'm like, hmm, I need to go read about this. I know. Or like the idea that you could have a drink. So like you could add artificial sweeteners because what he talks about is we have all these processed food products where They'll make it like less calories, you know, not calorie free, but less calories by putting in some artificial sweeteners to like, you know, lower the the sugar load. And he basically makes the case that that even though it's like less calories, all of the confusing signals, our body basically, like I said, it enters a mode of uncertainty. So it starts storing fat. It's crazy. He basically says that we need to eat whole foods where the nutrition matches what our brain is expecting. Interesting, because I, I think it's it's so complicated. 
because our soil is so depleted. So even if we're eating, like as an example, if we're saying we're just going to eat arbitrarily and eat organic fruits and vegetables, well, it's not going to have the same mineral content that it did for my grandparents' generation. And so I think it gets tough. Like try, like I'm not suggesting we go and consume synthetic vitamins, but you just start to realize that a modern day lifestyle, even if you're eating pretty clean, likely necessitates the utilization of additional supplementation, whether it's on our own or it's added to our foods, preferably on our own. So we get to choose what goes in our bodies, but that opens up so much. I mean, you're just really unpacking the processed food industry on so many levels. It's like we can take it from multiple different angles about how it's detrimental to our health. And this is a new angle. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's actually a key question I want to ask him is because he doesn't talk that much about supplementing in like a vitamin form versus when it's in the actual food. He really just talks about like it being in the food because there's, he says basically there's so much to when we're actually eating and then like what is in the food and what our brain thinks is in the food. And he writes it like a page turner too. Like he, so he basically like in the first chapter talks about the pellagra epidemic and at the end compares how, like today he compares like Italy to the US and compares how it seems like a very similar dietary approach from the outside. Like they still have McDonald's and they still eat a lot of high calorie food, but there's, but for some reason we have an obesity epidemic. And then he kind of like, it's like a cliffhanger. Like he doesn't really like address it till like way later in the book. That was a long intro, but for basically I, I really recommend at least that book and I need to go back and read the Dorito effect and steak as well. No, that sounds really interesting. I feel like I maybe during this, you know, three hour drive to and from this rural part of my state, I got through a book for a podcast guest I have on Thursday and I started reading another book by Jenna Kutcher, which is more of like a personal development book. And I was like, gosh, I made such good use of that time. I'm really proud of myself. Was it Morgan's book that you finished? Yes. I didn't know you were interviewing her that soon. Yeah, on Thursday. It's so funny for listeners. Cynthia and I are so in sync. Like this week, I was literally listening to Morgan Levine's True Age. Is that what it's called? And then I flipped over to check my text and it was Cynthia being like, have you read this? And it was a screenshot. of Exactly. I was in the car. And it depends. Like if it's a book I think I may want to reference, I get the physical copy. A lot of other books I listen to. And I enjoy that too. But for me, it's like I need that visual. Like I really need the visual. Yeah, same. Makes me weird, but... Oh, it's not weird. I'm I'm the same way. <laughs> We're very simpatico. Yes. Yes, yes. Should we answer some listener questions about fasting, the other side of food? Yes. All right. So to start things off, we have a question from Violet, and the subject is IF Timeline. And Violet says, hello, this is my 109th day of fasting. I was wondering if you can give me a rough timeline on when I might see more fat loss. I've definitely decreased in clothing size. I'm not as hungry, but since I've been at this a while, I was wondering when more fat loss can be expected. What is the average for an IFR to see bigger results? Six months? A year? I know everyone is different, but would love to have something to look forward to and keep up my momentum. Thank you so much for your books and inspiration. This is a great question, Violet. And, you know, I always come at this as a clinician, so I don't know your age or life stage. So I'm not sure if you're, you know, younger, like in your 20s and 30s, or if you're perimenopausal, menopausal. So that will definitely impact fat loss for a number of different factors. 
I think it's important, even if we're fasting, that we consider the quality of the food that we're eating. And by that, I mean, you know, are we eating an anti-inflammatory diet? Are we eating a less processed? I remember I said less. That doesn't mean no processed food. I'm saying less processed food. You know, what is your stress management like? And that doesn't mean five minutes of meditation. Are you exercising? Because one of the most important things, I think, when women are talking to me about fat loss, I think about strength training. I think about high-intensity interval training. And I think about just being physically active during the day. And, and that means, you know, and it was interesting at this conference I was at, one individual indicated, you know, if you exercise hard for an hour and then you spend the rest of the day sitting on your butt, you've just undone all the good of that exercise. So I think it's important to track your movement and you don't have to be, you know, vigilant about it. I know how much I walk every day, just, you know, during my day or make with my dogs or cumulatively with exercise. So I think that's important. Strength training, high intensity interval training, you know, really being active during the day, not being a couch potato, nutrition, and then where you are age-wise. But I also think about sleep and, you know, kind of my standard foundational approach to women with fat loss and weight loss and things like that is if your sleep isn't high quality, high quality sleep means you wake up rested, you really don't need an alarm clock, but you can easily get up and get out of bed you're not getting high quality sleep, you're losing out on opportunities to support your body, not just hormonally, you know, with leptin, ghrelin, these appetite regulatory hormones, blood sugar, insulin, but it also impacts your food choices that you're making. So I really take a foundational approach and those are the things that I would look at first. I would say most women, intermittent fasting for a lot of people, it's not instantaneous gratification. I think it's more unusual that people get an instantaneous gratification. And so I think it is all about staying with the mindset of this is a journey, not a race. Unfortunately, the processed food industry, the weight loss industry, which is a you know trillion dollar a year industry, has convinced us that weight loss should be effortless. Fat loss should be effortless. You take a potion, a pillow powder, and it happens effortlessly. And I'm here to tell you as a clinician, that is not sustainable. So what I generally recommend is giving yourself a solid three to six months, celebrate the non-scale victories, your clothes feel looser, you know, make sure you take measurements. I think that's very helpful. I'm not suggesting you get on the scale every day, but, you know, measure your waist, measure your hips. If you have another problem area that bothers you, then you can appropriately track it objectively. But I think that that's probably where I would start from. And in terms of, you know, really giving yourself grace, because I think we as women, we're so hard on ourselves. And I, I've been that person, and I, I speak with love when I say this, that really giving your body time, because we get healthy to lose weight or lose fat. It's not supposed to be instant gratification. In fact, that's a rare occurrence. I see more often than not with women, especially if you're still, you know, your peak fertile years, or you're still getting a cycle every month. Your body is conditioned for reproduction, even if you're choosing not to have a baby. And when a woman is in perimenopause and menopause, your hormones start recalibrating themselves and it gets a little more challenging to lose fat. It does not mean it's impossible, but you have to be more diligent. So those are the things I would definitely consider. Violet, and I'm sure, Melanie, you have some insightful recommendations or suggestions as well. First quick question, what was the theme of the conference that you spoke at? It was called Momentum in the Mountains. Was it just all different health topics or 
And what did you speak on? Well, they asked me, so this is usually what happens. I was the only female that spoke. And so they wanted to have a female slanted. This is like the story of my life. They wanted me to have a female slanted conversation. And so I talked about perimenopause and menopause, and then I slid into metabolic health, which is always kind of my natural progression. But I was able to really dig in deep. And, you know, a lot of women came up to me and said, gosh, I wish I had known that information 20 years ago. So that's what I spoke about. But I had a cardiovascular surgeon who spoke before me who was talking about metabolic health from his perspective. He wrote a book called Stay Off My Operating Room Table, and he means it. (laughs) And then I had a, a doctor after me who was talking about childhood obesity, And then Vinny Tortorich, who's absolutely hilarious for any listeners that don't follow him. He has a podcast called Fitness Confidential. He's one of my favorite people. He's just a no-muss, no-fuss kind of guy, was talking a lot about, you know, what goes on in the food system. And so it was a nice kind of, you know, variations on themes throughout the discussion. But yeah, it was really, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Very cool. Hi, friends. One of my favorite foods for gut health, skin, cravings, energy, and immunity is definitely bone broth. I and so many of my listeners love bone broth, but it can also be intimidating because it can be hard to find a bone broth that is all natural, organic, free of preservatives, and especially no salt added. Of course, you can always make your own, which I love, but that can be a little bit of a cumbersome process. That's why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty and the Broth. They make it so, so easy to bring bone broth into your life because they ship it in concentrated form in shelf-stable packets. It's easy to store, doesn't take up space. You don't have to worry about keeping it frozen. And then when you reconstitute it with water, you can customize it exactly to your tastes. It is incredible. Beauty and the Broth makes delicious bone broth from vegetarian-fed, free-range chicken bones and USDA organic, grass-fed, ranch-raised beef. The meat and bones come from certified humane and USDA organic farms, no antibiotics, no hormones. They also use organic vegetables and powerful herbs that are so delicious, all without any added salt or sodium. A lot of the broths on the market are also kettle or pressure cooked, which breaks down ingredient nutrients and reduces their integrity and potency. Beauty and the Broth doesn't do that. They let all of those amazing ingredients slowly simmer for up to 24 hours to create a broth that is super high in naturally occurring collagen and nutrients. Your gut will thank you, I promise. We often get questions about the best way to open your eating window. This is an incredible way to do that. Especially when you're in the fasted state, your gut is super ready to absorb these nutrients and bone broth contains the specific nutrients needed to heal your gut, help with leaky gut, support digestion, and so much more. And when it's cold in the winter months, what tastes better than a warm cup of bone broth? You will notice it in your nails, in your gut health, in your hair, in your improved recovery, increased energy. And did I mention it's so convenient and so easy to use? They've also got a vegan mushroom broth, which is super rich in umami and delicious for all of you vegans out there. And you can get 15% off site-wide. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash broth and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 15% off site-wide. That's melanieavalon.com slash broth with the coupon code melanieavalon for 15% off site-wide. Friends, if you've been wanting to get on the bone broth train, this is the way to do it. Definitely check it out and we'll put all this information in the show notes. Yes. So for Violet's question, I always, I always feel like I'm not the um, best person to have data on this since I don't actively work with people who are trying IF all the time. Like I really just have my experience and then I have like the 
the vague sort of people writing in or people in the audience saying like, I started intermittent fasting and I'm finally losing weight. But like for, for my experience, cause it's been so long ago that I first did it. And I was thinking about this, like looking back, I don't remember like quantifying the speed of the weight loss when I started fasting. But I remember there was a huge feeling of like a paradigm shift in my body, which was that prior to IF, I always felt with dieting that I was actively trying to lose weight and looking at the pounds and felt like I would like lose and gain. And it just always felt like a challenge and a struggle. And with fasting, something clicked. And then I finally felt, and this is very not scientific, like I'm talking about my feelings, but I finally felt like during the day when I was fasting that I was literally burning fat, which I was. And so I, basically it felt like I went from a trajectory of yo-yoing or struggling to, oh, okay, every single day I am burning fat. It felt like I was making slow and steady forward progress movement. And on top of that, so I know she's asking like, what is normal? And she's looking forward to keeping up her momentum. So in general, there's a lot of magic and Cynthia touched on this, like the importance of what you're eating and everything, but there is definitely a lot of magic in the foods that you are eating. So I think a lot of people will be on a standard American diet not fasting, you know, eating all throughout the day and they can start fasting and maintain that standard American diet and lose weight, which is great. But on top of that, if you are also looking at the food choices, there's just a lot of magic that can happen there. And I feel like a broken record because I say this all the time, but on the macro side of things, so for some people doing low carb is really, really magical. So that might expedite the weight loss And if you are existing in that low-carb world, not necessarily embracing the idea that low-carb, for example, has to be super, super high fat because you could be doing low-carb, high fat, and there might be a lot of potential to lose more weight if you titrate down the fat a little bit while still staying moderate to high protein, of course. And then on the flip side, some people do really well actually with a higher-carb, low-fat approach, and that can be something that can really catalyze weight loss. So I think it's really, it's all about finding what works for you, but there's definitely magic that can happen if you tinker the food choices on top of just the fasting. Of course, I love everything that Cynthia said about lifestyle choices and sleep and all of that. That's huge. But yeah, I feel like it's very individual, which always feels like a cop-out answer, but people's bodies are different and we have, they respond differently to change. So I don't know that you have to even like focus on what's normal or average and rather just focus on what is or is not working for you personally. So you don't have to compare yourself to other people. No. And I think that's important, especially we as women do a really not so stellar job of we're chronically comparing ourselves to others. And even when I'm teaching IF45, which is my kind of signature program for fasting for women, the one thing I always tell them is put your blinders on and focus on you because we tend to you know, we see that there's someone else in the group or someone else we know that effortlessly loses weight, or maybe that's our perception. And yet we don't know what's going on underneath the hood, if you will. And so I always say that, you know, people come to intermittent fasting because they want to lose fat or they want to lose weight, and then they end up staying for all the other benefits. So giving it time, and and I I think I've shared, if not on IF Podcast, certainly on my own, that when I started fasting, I didn't lose weight right away. 
And obviously I was in my 40s when I started doing it. It took longer. But for me, the single most important thing I did that allowed me to lose that last bit of perimenopausal weight was an elimination diet. Taking, getting dairy out of my out of my diet was absolutely, even though I ate dairy so sporadically, was a, a game changer for me. And so I always say to people, sometimes the foods you love may not love you back. So really getting diligent about, you know, maybe you do a whole 30 for a month, maybe just see how your body responds to, you know, reducing inflammation in the body. I would, I would get creative and, you know, be open-minded to trying different things to see what will be most effective and efficacious. Perfect. I love that. That reminded me because I was looking at her last sentence. Thank you so much for your books and inspiration. Cynthia, we forgot again. Do you want to talk about the giveaway? Yes. So I have not been good about mentioning this in our episodes, but we are ready to draw a winner. And the winner, all you have to do is purchase my book, Intermittent Fasting Transformation, and submit a review. So if you bought it on Amazon, submit the review, screenshot it, send it to us at questions at ifpodcast.com and we will submit your your review and your book purchase. And if you bought the book when it first came out, you can still do that. Just screenshot it and send it to us. But we're super anxious to send some really great goodies that some very generous companies shared with me during the book launch. And I really would love to be able to provide an opportunity for some of the IF podcast listeners to get some fun things, but we will, we will pull one person. Let me just be, make sure that's very clear. So just send that to questions at ifpodcast.com. Yes. And so to recap, everybody I think can benefit from Cynthia's book. It is so amazing and it's such a valuable resource. So all of the stuff that we talk about on here with fasting and hormones and women specifically and protein intake and how to do this and sleep and lifestyle, like it's all in there. So it can definitely benefit listeners from getting her book. So if you already have it, definitely super easy. Just go write a review on wherever you bought it and send us that screenshot. And if you haven't bought it, now's a great time to get it and write that review. Yeah. So we'll pick a winner and send out lots of goodies. Do you want to jump into our next question? Sure. So this is from Liv. And so the subject is a one to two hour window, constipation, comma, when everything balances out. Hi, I adore your podcast and love to skip around depending on the day and what I need regarding tips, IF education, and motivation. I'm a 30-year-old female and I have been athletic and health food based my entire life. Growing up on a fruit orchard with health conscious parents was very helpful in my building blocks for plant-based and whole food eating. I worked in a health food store through high school and college and have always been drawn to naturopathic and holistic medicine. That said, I avoid junk, processed foods, and excess of dairy or meat. However, like most people, I keep a balance and do eat desserts every now and then. I drink wine regularly. I used to kill myself at the gym to knock out my stubborn 10 pounds of extra fat that seems to be so cozy around my midsection and hips. I could run five to seven miles a day and nothing was as successful for me as intermittent fasting. I've been on and off this way of life for five years and never stuck to it for maintenance as I should have. I am now back on, I'm assuming, two weeks eating within a one to two hour window and feeling amazing. Weight is falling off again and I'm sticking to my tennis game and more leisurely physical fitness. Huge plus in this heat in Ohio. My question is one I have not heard discussed too much on your podcast, or maybe I'm missing the episode. Pooping. You know, as a nurse, I love these questions. Yes, 
Can we all admit we poop and discuss IF and pooping? Absolutely. I am someone who likes to poop every day, and when I don't, I get irritable. Does my window reflect too small of an eating window to produce a daily bowel movement? Is constipation a temporary thing? As women, I feel we are more subject to this physiologically. How long does it take to regulate? Can you please describe your experiences and or share your research on this topic? I think ketosis and fasting can really change things for people here, and I feel it is valuable to discuss in order for me to feel a little more normal. Also, I've read that most people are carrying around a minimum of 10 pounds of bile. Yay, yuck. I have to guess that if IF helps this, because sometimes, and sorry, this is nasty, sometimes what comes out in these first few weeks back to fasting feels like that type of stored sludge, for lack of a better term, backing me up. No shame in the pooping game. Love you both. Live. That warms my nurse practitioner heart. I love to talk about poop. Oh, that I'm so excited. Then we both do. So this is great. And actually, it's funny because she said that she hadn't heard it discussed on the podcast before. We've we've had a, a lot of episodes on it, just maybe not recently. And so this is a little resource for listeners. If you go to our website, ifpodcast.com, there is a search bar there. And because we have transcripts on every single episode, it will find, if you search for keywords, it will find the episodes. So you could search for poop, but more likely if you search for like constipation, that'll probably bring up a ton of episodes. But it's nice to revisit it now. And it's nice to visit it with Cynthia. Um, (laughs) I get excited because there's so many topics we've talked about so much on this show, but it's like I get to discuss it all anew because I haven't heard your perspective specifically. So it's very, it's very exciting for me. Yes. But so my thoughts on all of this, Oh, I have a lot. So first of all, so I do struggle with, I know this is a way that Cynthia and I are different. I do struggle with constipation and live when you say that you're irritable. If you don't have a daily bowel movement, irritable is an understatement for me. (laughs) I have to keep things moving and I really have to stay regular. And I've found the system that works for me to do that and I stick to it, but I've learned a lot over the years. And interestingly, I first started struggling with this issue. It's hard to know because a lot was going down. I, I had a living situation from 2012 to 2014 where I was in an apartment that had black mold and there was carbon monoxide leaking every night. And that's when I first got hypothyroidism. And so it's hard to know what was what. At that time, that's the first time I took the antibiotic some people might be familiar with for SIBO called Rifaximin. That's when I started having issues with regularity. So and digestive issues was after taking that antibiotic. And I don't want to scare people away from it because for some people it's a game changer for SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. But for me, it had some negative side effects. So to go through some of your questions, like she's asking if because she's eating less in a shorter window, is that affecting the bowel movements or not? So it's really interesting because, and I know that um, Liv is in the the plant-based sphere. If you, you know, look at what people are saying. And in general, people will say, add lots of fiber, add lots of bulk to encourage bowel movements. And for some people that really works. For others, it doesn't. For others, it causes the exact opposite problem. It causes bloating and 
things just get backed up. And if things aren't moving and then you're just adding more fiber to the fuel, then it just gets worse and worse. And especially people with digestive issues who are creating methane, if you have methane producing bacteria, they eat the food and they produce methane. And methane actually works as a neurotransmitter in the GI tract that stops motility. So it becomes a vicious cycle where you might be adding more, you know, fiber to try to move things along and it's just making things back up even more. And that's, I know what I experienced for a while. Like I went through a period where I was like, I'm going to find the right fiber that will keep things moving. And that just made everything really worse. What ended up working for me was a low FODMAP diet that works really, really well for me. But that said, or, and (laughs) it's interesting because so people in the carnivore sphere and the low carb sphere, but really the carnivore sphere, they'll go on a, a zero fiber diet. And a lot of them will say that they have the, you know, perfect bowel movements like that before that they were constipated. And then once they cut out the fiber, everything was great. And they often reference, they'll say like studies will show that if you go on a no fiber diet, that it resolves constipation. Everybody quotes the study. There's only been one study, but it's a pretty telling study, but it's very small. Um, it was only in a few people, but they basically found that I think all the people had existing GI issues and then they went on a zero fiber diet. And in every single person, it resolved their constipation, which is really interesting. I just wish there were more studies looking at this. But back to the question, I feel like I'm circling all around of is more food required for bowel movements. So based on everything that I just said, it's very individual, I think. Some people do not require that bulk and they will have just dandy bowel movements. Some people do benefit from having a certain amount of bulk or a certain amount of fiber and and things like that. And I think a lot of people we have heard from a lot of listeners that they start fasting and they they struggle with constipation. It may or may not be temporary, so it may resolve it may not. If it's not resolving, there are a lot of things that you can try. So what really, really works for me is magnesium. It is my favorite thing. I'm super excited because I did recently launch my magnesium supplement. So that's Magnesium 8 by Avalon X. You can get it at avalonx.us and the coupon code Melanie Avalon will get you 10% off. So I think getting your magnesium levels, because most people are likely deficient, that's for a lot of reasons. We talked about this. If you want, we did a whole episode on this. So you can check out episode 276 if you would like to learn more about magnesium deficiency. But I think getting your magnesium levels up in general can be good for motility, specifically high dose magnesium to keep things moving. So I take my Avalonx Magnesium 8 Then I also use Natural Calm, which is a magnesium drink form. And I use that every night. And that really, really helps for me to keep things moving. Some people will use high-dose vitamin C that will work as well or may work as well. I'm all over the place with this. But um, I did recently listen to a fascinating episode all on the gut and the connection between the nervous system and motility in the gut. It's actually Peter Atiyah's, at the time of this, his most recent episode, and it's with a GI doc. I'm halfway through it. I'm like, dang, it's like a two-hour episode. It is excellent, but it's almost hearkening me back to my days at Hopkins when we would get lectures from the med school faculty. It is very detailed, like very, like it nerds me out and I love it. Melanie loves it. It's very detailed. 
Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous and they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. And if you're part of Peter Atia's membership, which Melanie and I are both part of, you get like all the behind the scenes little nuances, but that's an excellent podcast. So I'm going to come at this as a clinician. And when I think about poop, like obviously nurses and nurse practitioners, we talk a lot about poop. It's like completely our zone of genius because doctors generally don't like to talk about it. I think about a lot of things. Could it be that you are not eating a large enough bolus of food that is telling your GI tract like there's actually a mechanism in the gut that signals your your the innervation in the small and large intestine to move things forward as you eat? I think a great deal about something as simple as what's your hydration status like? Are you moving every day? Like actual a- exercise will actually help with peristalsis. 
I also think a great deal about the parasympathetic nervous system. So we have the autonomic nervous system, and this is a branch, you know, sympathetic nervous system is when you're being chased by a rabid animal and parasympathetic is rest and repose. And we actually have to be in the parasympathetic to poop. So I cannot tell you how many patients and women I've spoken to over the years who think if they're super stressed, they can force themselves to poop in five minutes. That's not how it works. Like when you've got a two-year-old banging on the door in the bathroom and you have five minutes to get out the door, that is not the time. Like you actually have to set aside this time to go. I've had lots of women who've had success with a squatty potty. They just need to reposition things. Squatty potty is the best. Yeah, squatty potty, I would say bitter foods, arugula, bitter greens, things that will help with, you know, viscous bile. So anytime anyone's thinking or talking about constipation, I'm already thinking about viscous. The bile in the gallbladder is viscous and thick and in there it's, it's having a hard time emulsifying and breaking down fat. So the bitter foods... Things that will be helpful for bile are artichokes, shaved beets, carrots, all very supportive and nurturing. One of the tricks that I learned how to use, like when people are having pretty benign constipation, one tablespoon of fresh ground flax seeds combined with one tablespoon of fresh ground chia seeds. And that together is magic. You can throw it in a smoothie, you can throw it on top of a salad very, very effective. And then I always say you can also use things like aloe vera juice, like even a quarter cup. It doesn't taste great, but if it's a frustration and it definitely sounds like this young woman, Liv definitely gets frustrated when she's not able to go. And I completely understand that. Other things that I kind of think about are, you mentioned a lot of people will recommend fiber. And I think this is highly person dependent. I can tell you that Three years ago when I spent 13 days in the hospital and was a gigantic GI distress mode, I didn't have a solid stool for a year. And you better believe fiber made me, made my body very inflamed and very miserable. So I went back to eating just meat for nine months and that helped me get over that. So that's very dependent on the individual. With that being said, there is value in consuming, maybe you have an, uh, you know, have an apple every day. So you will be getting in some fiber or maybe you're having salads. Like that's one thing I generally recommend is make sure you're getting some uncooked vegetables and fruits into your diet because that may be beneficial. But again, highly dependent on who you are. I also think about prebiotic rich foods. And it's interesting, I just interviewed Vincent Pedre on my podcast, and we were talking about the research around prebiotic rich foods, even fermented vegetables, like a tablespoon of you know, fermented cabbage or okra or whatever fermented vegetable you like can be very beneficial to nourish the right bacteria in the gut microbiome. So that's where I that's where I come from, but a lot of it's psycho there is a great deal to it that's psychological. So I would experiment as Melanie said there are supplements that can be helpful. I think about trifala, that is an ayurvedic option that can be very beneficial. Magnesium, Melanie's magnesium is is a, a nice choice. There's a product by Designs for Health called Trimag. I try every supplement out that I recommend to clients and patients. That destroyed me because I have a very vibrant digestive system. I go effortlessly and easily. I only share this to give you context. And I actually gave it to my mother who struggles with constipation and she loves it. It's just a powder that she takes before bedtime. But there are lots of options and I do like magnesium. Vitamin C can be tricky. I say this from personal experience because I sometimes will add vitamin C to my liquids if I'm under a lot of stress 
And there's a very fine line with vitamin C. You'll know if you've had too much because you will get loose stools, but it's not always predictable. So I would, I would be careful with vitamin C, although it can be very, very helpful. But hopefully those are the kinds of things that will be helpful for you. I would say, and I think listeners know this about me, I don't like women to have a one to two hour feeding window. I do think you genuinely need a wider feeding window. And ironically, maybe Melanie and I can talk about this on the next episode, but I was watching some research that Ben Bickman was providing on his brilliant IG account. And he was talking about the role of mTOR signaling and how if women are doing too much fasting, I mean, that was the context of what he was talking about, that that can impact fertility in non-beneficial ways. And obviously, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I just wanted to kind of interject. I like women to eat within a larger feeding window. Like I know Melanie eats like a large bolus of food over a several hours. And I just think it's it's very hard for women to get in enough protein in a very, very short window, unless you're a unicorn. And there may be a few unicorn listeners, but from my perspective, I'm always very protective of the protein piece. But constipation, totally get it. It can be very, very frustrating. I do find that for most women that struggle with this, it can be not just a physiologic component, can also be an emotional component, really getting into that parasympathetic, really f- setting aside time in the morning or the evening or whenever your body likes to have a bowel movement, just setting that time aside so that you can actually have that and then integrating nutritional options and supplements that can help support your body. I'm so glad you said all that. That made me think of, <laughs> I took some notes because that made me think of quite a few different things. First of all, on the magnesium piece, I forgot one of the ones that really helps me. And I actually want to develop my own version of this as a standalone separate magnesium in the future, but I think it's called MAG-07 and it's just magnesium oxide. And that is a very poorly absorbed form of of magnesium. 11% is what you absorb. So it has a very osmotic effect in the intestines and that works really well for me. And so I I plan to make my own version, especially because I don't like some of the fillers in it. But yes, so that version specifically, I've played around with the, the, I don't know how you say it, the Trifala. I know a lot of people, it's game changers for them. It, It didn't really work for me. The herb that did work, and I know this is a little bit controversial because it is a stimulant herb. It potentially has the possibility of reliancy on it, but cascara can work for a lot of people, especially if you're in a rut. I, I also think about smooth move tea. Ooh, oh yeah. I used to, I'm having flashbacks to my really constipated days. <laughs> my kids would kill me if I told, share this with listeners, but it's okay. We're all women or in, and people who are supportive, right? I, I think about how I had a kiddo who really struggled with constipation. And so we had this whole like formula of what we would use. And every once in a while he'd need smooth move tea, which I recommend you brew like half of what is in there and save the other half for another time. But that can be very effective. And Senna, but those are things you don't want to be taking regularly because it can make your bowel lazy. Yes. And there's definitely a difference, at least in my personal experience. So like the urgency related to the osmotic effect of magnesium or potentially vitamin C, for example, it can have an urgency feeling, loose stools, like Cynthia was saying, but then the the stimulant version, so like Senna, the Smooth Move Tea, Cascara, that can be more, at least for me, of like a crampy, really unpleasant urgency that it's like urgency to the next level urgency. It's it's a signal that like you got to go. Yes, because it's basically the osmotic version is working because it's pulling in all of this water. So it's like it's signaling to the intestine with that bulk to 
push things forward. But with the stimulant versions, they're actually, I don't know the, the details of it, but it's actually communicating with the intestines to move. It's like a whip. Yes. Yes. That's a good example. And then I'm glad you mentioned the bile again, because I wanted to answer, she was saying 10 pounds of bile. I think she's confusing bile with like fecal matter. Cause I, I just Googled it and it's according to a 2010 study on the gallbladder, the liver produces about 27 to 34 fluid ounces of bile every day. Mm-hmm. It's small amount. I mean, the gallbladder is, is small. So it's not 10 pounds of bile. And then even on top of that, I have wondered about that. And I think it varies drastically between individuals for two main factors. One, the actual amount of bulk in your stool based on what you're eating and your gut bacteria. And then number two, the transit time. So some people have faster transit time, some people have slower. So there's a lot of permutations of different factors that could affect how much stool you actually have in you. Question for you, Cynthia. I know I've asked you this before. When you did the nine months of the meat only, did you have regular bowel movements on that? Yeah, but it was, sorry, if TMI, it was still like literally just liquid, like all the time. And no one was worried about it. I just kept saying, when am I going to have a form stool? So there's something called Bristol's stool chart. And this is something we can include in the show notes. And that's a good way to describe your poop. Like, you can see visually like people that are absorbing too much water versus not enough. So if you're absorbing too much water, that's diarrhea. If you're absorbing not enough, you'll have like pebbles and it can be hard. You can, you know, develop hemorrhoids internally or externally. And then there's like the perfect poop, which is like number four. And so it gives people an idea of like, what's your normal? And then you can actually have a communication with your healthcare professional if you ever need to. You know, the other thing that I was thinking about is you know, just this whole kind of mindset methodology about being comfortable talking about things that are very normal, but yet like as a society, we get uncomfortable talking about bodily functions. And so I'm glad that we're having this discussion so that more women, other wh- wh- whoever our listeners are, I think we're predominantly women, but I know we have many male listeners as well. I think that, you know, whomever is listening that they understand like you're more than welcome to ask these kinds of questions because it's so normal. It's so common. I mean, everyone poops. In fact, I used to have a book for my boys that was like everyone poops and it was like all these different types of animals and what, how different their poop was. And of course, as a healthcare provider, that was like the greatest book ever. I think I got it at the San Diego Zoo. But the point of why I'm sharing this is to encourage people, you know, don't feel uncomfortable sharing this kind of information. There's probably 20 other people listening who have the same question. I've actually been thinking about that a lot recently, not with the the poop subject, but I released my <laughs> I released my episode week before last with Dr. Lori Mentz, who wrote Becoming Cliterate, which is about orgasm equality. I need to listen to that. Oh, it's so good. And her work is so good. But it's made me realize how far I've come with all of that because speaking to what you were talking about, about how we have these certain topics that are off limit to talk about. So sexual health and sexual awareness and all of that was something I did not talk about. And if I heard a podcaster talking about it, I was like, oh, how scandalous. And like, (laughs) I released that episode now and didn't even think twice about it. But what's funny is I've been getting so much feedback from listeners thanking me for talking about something that people are uncomfortable talking about. And every time I get that, I'm, well, it's helpful because it makes me feel better about talking about these type of things. But also it reminds me, just how much subjects are taboo. Well, even talking about aging, Melanie, like I, 
I, I was talking about this in the context of my lecture, and I was saying how embarrassed I was when I hit the wall of perimenopause and to then do a TEDx about it and then to be talking about it all the time. And I've come to realize, like, even as a healthcare professional, my faculty members, my, you know, arguably went to like one of the best medical institutions in the country and no one talked to us about this time. It's like women go off to pasture. And so those topics that we're uncomfortable to talk about, we need to be talking about. So whether it's talking about our sexual health or, you know, talking about aging or pooping, we need to have opportunities to explore these topics and do it so there's less stigmatization. I, I mean, I, I think maybe like my children's generation might grow up differently than than certainly my generation did. But even now, I still feel like women, what I hear from most women, and obviously I'm middle-aged, is women just, a lot of women just don't want to have sex. And so that's like the new, the new thing that people bring up in conversation. And then everyone's like, yeah, we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> We don't, we don't want to talk about that. Like that's a whole separate, like you should be having that conversation with your best girlfriend, not amongst mixed company. So, you know, my hope and, and certainly our hope and our intent is that we can have these conversations so that people have a safe place to, to be able to, you know, get input and feedback on. I haven't aired it yet. Did you connect with Dr. Sherry Ross? I did, but I, I think she's going to end up being like a 2023 guest because she can only record on like Fridays or after five o'clock at night. And I was like, that doesn't work for my schedule, <laughs> but I will. We're, we're connected with her, but thank you for that. She she wrote a book called Sheology. She's a celebrity gynecologist. So I'll be airing that in the next few months. But one of the biggest epiphanies I had even with that was like growing up in the South girls, we didn't go to gynecologists. And I think it was because they thought by going to a gynecologist, it would encourage having sex. And just stepping back, I'm like, this is such a problem. Like, like there's a lot happening with the vagina that has nothing to do with sex that needs to be looked at by a healthcare practitioner. Yeah. And, that, and that's on every level. Like that's one thing that, you know, my conversations with women. And so I have a program called Holistic Blueprint where we do the Dutch and we do the GI map and we do a lot of testing. We have a lot of like conversations. And when women are speaking with me privately, that's when they'll start the conversations. And so a very common conversation for women to be having is the changes that occur in middle age, you know, within the vagina and the vulva or vagina slash vulva. And, you know, some of them are like so stigmatized, like, oh, you know, I'm not supposed to talk about this. And I'm like, well, what's the other option? you know, suffer in silence. I mean, we don't want that either. So I'm excited to hear your conversation with her. Exactly. Awesome. We're on the same page as per usual. <laughs> so basically listeners, the takeaway is ask us all the questions. Please do. And I mean, poop is a subject I could talk about till the cows come home. Like I really like, and this is one of the few things where Melanie and I are very divergent on. Like it's easy for me, not as easy for Melanie, but it also gives us different perspectives. And it really makes me reflect on how common women believe, or just people in general, like my patients, all my patients used to think it was normal that they would poop twice a week. And I'm like, listen, that is not normal. <laughs> it's not good. So making sure that if it's a chronic issue, or if it's something that's new and concerning, make sure you see your healthcare professional. Like that is one thing I just want to dovetail in there and say, if it's new and it's persistent and you're having other changes, make sure you have a conversation with your healthcare professional. But definitely these nutritional changes and, you know, stress management supplements, I mean, those that might be an easy fix. But if those things aren't working, you're still having symptoms, you definitely want to follow up with your local healthcare professional. 
And actually just one last point to that point. I totally forgot the the thing that really switched the lever on because I was in a, a period where I was trying everything. So I was having so many flashbacks during this conversation because it was all during a time where I was just trying all the things and nothing was working. And it wasn't until I saw a practitioner and got put on thyroid medication for my hypothyroidism that that really was a game changer in the motility department. So yes, yes, yes. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go, if you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. The show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 278. They'll have a full transcript and links to everything that we talked about. So definitely check that out. Reminder to enter the giveaway to win all of the amazing goodies from Cynthia. Again, for that, if you already bought a copy of her book, or if you do buy a copy of her book now, either way, just leave a review on whatever platform you bought the book from. Send a screenshot of your review to questions at ipodcast.com, and we will enter you into the drawing. And yes, you can follow us on Instagram. We are I Podcast. I am Melanie Avalon. Cynthia is Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. I think that is all the things. So anything from you, Cynthia, before we go? No, keep the great questions coming. I think we've been, you know, very humbly and beautifully overwhelmed with the outpouring of support. And we look forward to diving into questions next week. Likewise, and happy early birthday again. Thank you. I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.